Hi, this is Mike Marker of the Musculoskeletal Conference Podcast, MSK Conference Podcast. This podcast is about conferences and continuing education opportunities related to musculoskeletal care. And this episode is the first one, so it's going to be a little bit grainy on my end. I apologize for that. But if you bear with it and me, uh, you'll be able to enjoy uh, listening to Rajam Roos, the sole owner and sole organizer of the San Diego Pain Summit. That's at sandiegopainsummit.com. Check it out and enjoy. Call is now being recorded. There you go. Okay. So we're now being, uh, we're now on a recording. Um, Hi, I'm Mike Marker. And hi, Rajam. Can you please introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Rajam Ruth, and I am the CEO and founder of the San Diego Pain Summit. So I wanted to talk to you about this, the San Diego Pain Summit, because I actually know people who've gone and, um, I myself have not gone yet. Um, I'd like to go, um, but I know people who have actually called it life-changing, and people who go every year. Um, I know Sandy Hilton goes every year. I think Karen Litty has gone every year. So I wanted to hear all about this um, big event that um, everybody that I personally know is talking about. <laughs> Well, I think um, currently right now it's the only conference that's specifically focused on connecting that gap between pain, current pain research and clinical practice. And so I try and bring in um, clinicians to talk about how they use research in their work. And then I also bring in research scientists who talk about um, the work that they're doing to learn more about pain and so it's a place where those two um, professions can come together and see what the other is doing. And so a lot of clinicians come and they don't they don't realize that these researchers are performing that work. And the researchers come because they're really interested in well, how is my work? How is this work being used? Or how is this? You know, what's the clinical side? Okay. Um, do they so are they ever surprised the researchers I mean surprised to find out uh, how uh, clinicians are using their work or how they respond to their work? Yeah, and they're not and the researchers that come, you know most of who comes to the summit haven't heard of them. So for example, like um, Dr. Robert Sapolsky was the keynote in 2016. And a good portion of the audience weren't familiar with the work that he had done that shows how stress affects us. And so he doesn't even do conferences. He doesn't speak at conferences anymore, but he agreed to speak at the summit because he thought it was interesting that there was this conference about, you know, pain research and, you know, using it in the clinic. And he was really interested, like, well, what do they talk about there? What goes on? So, um, yeah, they they do find that interesting, I think. Okay, cool. I mean, it, it's I think um, that's a good thing because um, there there does seem to be a a disconnect sometimes between clinicians and researchers, and you know, sometimes some people from the clinical realm can feel like the researchers are kind of in an ivory tower and the researchers are kind of looking at the clinician and seeing that they're just doing whatever they want without really thinking about the science involved. And it's great that, you know, you're connecting these two parties. Um, so what, um, was there anything in particular that like really got you to think about the, making this event, like that really pushed you to start the event? Yeah. So. Um, you know, I, I was a massage therapist actually for 16 years, and I started organizing continuing education workshops that were multidisciplinary. They're, they were for massage therapists and physical therapists. 
And I really started doing it just as a way because there was workshops I wanted to take and I couldn't afford the travel. So I started um, organizing a few workshops to come here so I could take them. And one of the workshops I organized was a joint um, – was a Diane Jacobs for two or three days who taught dermoneural modulation, and then Barrett Dorco who came for two days to teach simple contact. And they were kind of back-to-back. So if you took both of them, you got a certain discount. So I think over half the students were taking both classes um, because they kind of tie in together. And during Barrett's class, during the break, there were several physical therapists in the class who had just recently graduated in the last year. And Barrett was asking them, you know, are they teaching you anything about Patrick Wall or Lorimer Mosley? Are you learning any of that stuff about pain in class? <laughs> and one of the students said, yeah, we are, but we have no idea how to use it in the clinic. And the woman, I think it was a woman standing next to him, and she said, yeah, that's how I feel too. And when you talk about the light bulb movement, I had the biggest light bulb movement moment in my entire life like I had never had such a huge like bam I'm gonna make a conference I knew exactly who I was gonna have talk I mean it was just it just hit me right there like that's what I want to have a conference about because I had already been hearing people online who were saying you know well this this research is great and all but how do you use it like what value is it you know, and of course, as a massage therapist, I was I was already learning about um, current pain research and the nervous system and the brain, and I had found ways to incorporate that incorporate that as a way to explain a lot of what I was doing, and was noticing that pushback didn't matter what profession you were in. Like there was that pushback, like I'm not a psychologist or I'm not a you know whatever. So this work, this none of this has any bearing on what I do, but it can. So um, that's how I got the idea for the summit. And initially I didn't plan for it to be an annual event. I was just going to do that one conference. Um, but I knew right away who I wanted to come speak, you know, Dr. Silvernell, um, Jason Silvernell, and Dr. John Ware, Barrett Dorico, and Diane Jake, like all these people who I had been following their blogs and um, their teachings but I knew they wouldn't do it if I didn't get a big name to pull them together because I'm just I was just a massage therapist. You know, I wasn't part of a educational institution or some big corporate um entity that supplied things for physical for the physical therapy profession because even though the conference is multidisciplinary, it's really targeted towards physical therapists. Um so I told, I emailed Lorimer Mosley, and he thought it was a really good idea and agreed. And then, of course, everyone else said yes because, you know, Lorimer Mosley's keynote, so, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So you went like, you had this, this, you had this concept, you had an idea just to, you know, get the education you needed, and that ended up leading to... Uh, like a big, so, like, like randomly almost, sort of randomly, leading to like the formation of an idea to create an event that is very influential for people who actually care about treating pain. And you, what's called, that's just, that's phenomenal. Um, so it, when it comes to, um, like uh, organizing this event, how do you make it so uh, people connect with each other? Because my understanding, now maybe I have a misconception, my understanding is people spend time talking um, after each session or after the end of the session to, to, under, to better understand the ideas. So can you please um, elaborate on that? Yeah, so what I do is I try and make it so that the um, the event is – all the presentations are linear so that nobody has to uh, decide which speaker to see. Um, I want everyone to be able to see all, hear all the presenters. And then, of course, I have taught class – you know, I 
I have another business um, as a digital marketing consultant, and I have taught workshops. And, you know, after like 45 minutes, you see those eyes just glazing over. So I knew mm-hmm. I didn't want to do it longer. That's why each presentation is 45 minutes. There's the Q&A. And then I give a 15-minute break so people can get up, walk around, discuss things. Usually what happens is a bunch of people go mob the speaker. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I also um, provide an event called, I call it the networking event, and I usually ask that all speakers come. And most of the speakers do, and it's a casual event where you can just come and, and meet the speakers and hang out with your colleagues and it's not a networking event in the sense, you know, one, one attendee this last year was really nervous because he was taking business classes as well, and so he was, of course, learning that a networking event is where you have your cards and you, you know, you're exchanging business information, so I had to explain to him that you don't even need your business cards. It's more about just networking and talking about, you know, maybe what the presenters are there talking about or what you do or just, you know, finding out what's going on. So, and having a good time, too. Um, So those are the opportunities where, although I did see something cool, I was just at a conference, and I'm thinking about implementing this at the next summit, if I can figure out how to make it work. But I was at this conference, and they had this area where there were tables, and at lunchtime, and each little section was designated to a topic. So at lunchtime, everyone would sit at the tables where they wanted to talk about that topic. And um, I'm thinking about doing something like that for the next one. But that one's that's kind of still in the works. But I think that's a good way to encourage um, discussion as well. That, yeah, I think you're right. Um... I think that's that's what's really appealing um, about an in-person conference is there is that discussion and there is that, you know, human interaction, which I think is a a really big deal. Um, Are are there any ideas you've got, um, like, do you ever get ideas during the actual event for the next event? You go like, oh, you know what, we could do this or that, or we could add this or that to this event. Yeah, I do, because I listen to what people are talking about. I mean, of course, I'm running around kind of like a mad woman because that's when everything's happening. But at the same time, I'm still also kind of listening to what, to the feedback. People are already giving some feedback about what they're hearing. So, for example, this last conference, um, I had, so I have pre-conference workshops and then workshops. And after a couple of the pre-conference workshops, People were talking about being able to communicate better with patients. And um, I got this idea, why don't we do, you know, Sandy Hilton does, uh, Dr. Sandy Hilton does some improv, does a lot of improv on the side. Why don't we have, why don't we do a class where there's improv where um, participants can practice and role play with communicating with their patients about, you know, who are living with pain. And so that, I had that idea for that workshop, and it's going to be uh, uh, taught by uh, Mike Stewart, Dr. Keith Waldron, Dr. Sandy Hilton, and Allison Sim. And so they're creating that right now for the next year's uh, one of the pre-conference workshops. And I just got that idea just listening to people um, after Mike Stewart's class where he teaches about communicating with your patient, and then also listening to the feedback people were giving on the pain, the patient's perspective panel that I had, um, that one got such tremendous feedback. So I think the combination of those gave me the idea for that workshop. So that's an example. that's, That's awesome, though. Like, that sounds like a great workshop. I mean, I've heard about other workshops that you've had, like, uh, I think you had, uh, what is it? You had Diane Jacobs, I'm assuming, for a workshop, and I know she has a reputation. And, and you had Peter O'Sullivan um, teach uh, a workshop, and uh, I think you've got a like a full lineup. Um, what's called coming up, and I think was it was Sandy taught a workshop at this most recent one. Uh, Sandy that, uh, taught a workshop. Yes, she did. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, she taught one she co taught a workshop with Carolyn Vandekin because um there was a lot of interest I noticed in pelvic health after the prior conference where you had um well in two thousand sixteen Sandy gave a presentation on how she sets up her practice with the patient in mind. And then the next year I had which was last year I had Carolyn Van Van Dyken um talk about uh pelvic health and actually her presentation is free on the summit website um if you just go to the video section of san diego com and go to the clinical videos page and then scroll down and hers is free to watch so oh that's great video. i gotta i i gotta watch that you're telling me that's so you have you even have free resources after the event yeah, to, after I won't be doing any more free. Um, the only free one I did for this 2018 was the pain the patients panel, uh, the patients perspective is because I really want that one to get out and I want um, clinicians to watch it. I'd I'd love patients to watch it. Um, but I did give release. If you go to that page and scroll down, I did release all of 2015 are free, and then there's three from 2016 and three from 2017. And then those are those are the, the only free ones that I'll be releasing. And I just release them mostly because um, I want to give people a taste of what the summit is about and what they can expect at the summit. And, like, if they want, if they can't attend the summit, but maybe they want to sign up for the live stream video package, it gives them an idea to see what that content looks like, that it's good quality, and they can see all the speaker slides and that sort of thing. Uh, that's really generous because I know um, that's not usually the case. With a lot of conferences, you really have to go, and even if you go, um, there. I know with the physical therapy conferences, um, they often will tell you no video recording. Um, and they'll like reluctantly allow people to take pictures, but you're you're like releasing the actual video of the lectures, so people can actually get a, a taste of the experience and and some of the knowledge provided by the event. Yeah, because not everybody can make it to San Diego, and you know that's I mean there's this conference I'd love to attend. It's it's a search engine optimization conference, and they don't video any of the talks, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Now I think everyone else should do it too because it helps those people who can't, you know, afford the travel. And, um, you know, eventually it's my hope that I can just, especially for people who pay to attend the summit, I'd like to give the, I really would like to be able to give the video content for free because I'm very passionate about the information getting out there. Um, it's just because I pretty, this is my company, um, you know, right now I just need that money that comes in to help support the summit. So hopefully my goal is to get to the day where I don't really have to depend on video sales to support the summit, and then I can just really I can just give those out. That would be nice. That yeah, would be, but it's also very generous that you're you're willing to do that. And I know you earlier you said, oh, this all started because. There were courses that you wanted to take, but it was too expensive for you to leave to go to them. So you organized them in San Diego. So you, you're, you're really cognizant of that fact that, like, hey, it's kind of expensive to fly from, say, the Midwest or the East Coast to San Diego, even though I've heard, I, I have never been there, but all I hear about it are good things. It's like the perfect place in the U.S. <laughs> Especially in February. <laughs> yeah, February, like when everything, like there's like the, the weather on the East Coast can't make up its mind. One day it's warm, the next day it's like a blizzard. Yeah, so I know I'm like pretty much everybody would like to go. It's just sometimes cost is a factor, so it's um, really uh, admirable that you're willing to consider that. Um, is there is there anybody um, – well, actually, you know what? I was thinking of one question, but let me go to another one. Um, how, 
How about the students or the recent graduates who attend this event? Do you have a lot of uh, of them attending or, yeah, basically, do you have a lot of them attending and then what is their response? Yeah, so um, every year I've had a, a, a special discount for um, physical therapy students and first-year practitioners. And every year only about two or three students will take me up on the offer. But this year I had about 20 um, students come. And I also have had uh, students of physical therapy, you know, who end up on the volunteer list. And from what I've from what I've heard, the response was, was good. So um, there were some students who came from North San Diego County, and um, one fellow in particular came up to me personally and told me that how incredible it was. Um, and then, you know, I hear a good thing. There's two students. I, I think they may be first-year practitioners now. I'm not sure, but they've come every year. They've taken the student discount. Um, if they haven't come every year, they've come at least two or three years in a row. Okay. It, wait, are, are we, maybe I have the the wrong assumption because I am making an assumption. But I know um, two guys from NYU. They graduated from NYU, and I know they came as students. Is that are are we talking about the same people, or this is completely different? No, I think we're talking about the same people. They came two times in a row, two or three times in a row. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. They really told me. Uh, I spoke to the gentlemen and they really told me how much they enjoyed it and um, just the ability to connect with people they look up to and ask questions is a really big deal and it, to them it seemed a lot more personable than at other events. Yeah, cause something I don't do is um, I don't put uh, professions and I don't put all the letters that people have earned on their name on their neck wallets so it's just their name and initially mm -hmm. that's that started because when i was putting together the first year i really had no clue what i was doing so i was looking up what are people's biggest complaints about conferences like what what do people hate about conferences and i was looking around online and i learned the number one complaint about conferences is not being able to read the name tag because it's either so full of all this other information, and what happens is people start networking with each other and they forget someone's name, but they don't want that person to see them, their eyeballs looking down at their neck wallet to see what their name is. And so there were a lot of, like, there's blog posts out there where people are like, that's what I hate about conferences is that if you don't remember their name, you're kind of screwed because then you have to ask for it again. It can be embarrassing. So then what I did was I just put the first name really big and then the last name small underneath it, and that was it. But actually what happened because of that is that people felt more comfortable around each other, and at the last day we like to um, have the different professions stand up. And I had people coming up to me after the first year, and they were like, oh, my gosh, I was talking to, you know, the head of this clinic and you know, and on the East Coast, and oh my gosh, if I had known who this person was, I would have been too um, nervous to talk to him. And and so now I just do that every year. And I also like it because when I organized the work, I organized Diane a couple times, and I organized the one with Diane and Barrett, the workshops. What I noticed is that professions will click up. So. You know, by the middle of the day, by the middle of the first day, all the massage therapists would be kind of clicked up and all the physical therapists would be clicked up. And it happened with every workshop. So, I, and I think that's just a human, that's just what humans do, right? You you kind of, you see, oh, they're a physical therapist, I'm a physical therapist, so we have that in common and you gravitate towards each other. Um, but I don't put professions on the neck wallets because I don't want that to happen either. I don't want the clicks to just instantly form. Wow. So, like, there's a lot of thought to this, and I think that's really good because you're saying, you know, you're seeing that um, maybe, you know, somebody might be intimidated by somebody or somebody just will 
will only want to talk to people in their profession if that's what they're aware of. But this way, they're they're actively communicating and actively creating conversation with new people. Yeah, because everyone's there for the same reason, right? We all want to learn how we can help um, patients who are living in pain. So, and I think that's enough commonality to get started conversing with anybody who's sitting next to you. That's a good point. It's just sometimes, you know, it's like people are, I know for myself sometimes I'm looking around the room for anybody I know. And Mm -hmm. so whatever commonality we find, it's like that, it's that easy go-to. So, but it's good that you're willing to say, you know what, let's see what happens if we kind of try to take that away because they're all here for the same reason. Yeah, and that happened totally by accident because really I just wanted people to see each other's names better. (laughs) (laughs) But then that was the feedback I was getting. So then, you know, that's what led me to consider it in that way. Well, it it was a good idea. I mean, I know – at the other events I've gone to, they've started doing that. They've done the the big first name, and then they'll have the last name in smaller letters. And maybe they they still do qualifications, which uh, can be at times quite burdensome. I, I'm sure with like somebody like Jason Silver, you know, the letters just drag on, you know. So. <laughs> they start weighing around your neck. But you know, people are proud of those. I mean, those are things what people they work for, and so you you have to understand too. People are proud of, you know, the letters, or as some people call it, the alphabet soup. <laughs> I, I mean, I would be I would be certainly proud if I knew half as much as somebody like Doctor Silvernail. But you know, it's just amusing to me how like, you know, they try to like. Well, now in the APTA, they they actually have them write out the full name instead of the letters. So I can't even imagine how that works for people on that level who've taken, like, multiple, um, you know, exams to pass for the for the clinical specialist uh, exams and then the uh, fellowship or, uh, you know, say they have a, you know, a PhD or a DHSC or a EDD or whatever doctorate um, outside of their profession, like, it really adds up. So it's, it, it is, but it is, I'm sure it's, you know, you should take pride in your work and in accomplishing those things. Hello? Yep. All right. Um, um, but... It sounds like this is a really great event where people are going there, they're enjoying San Diego, they they get to learn a lot about pain, which, to be honest, is not covered at at the majority. Well, I'm not going to say the majority, but it's not well covered at my program. I'll tell you, Lorimer Mosley was never mentioned at my program. Um, We had one guest speaker briefly mention um, Greg Lehman, and um, they mentioned Adrian Lowe and uh, Emilio Puntadora uh, because of their resources. But, um, yeah, before – and that was in my last, my last semester of classes um, at the doctor level, clinical doctor level, and it was a guest speaker who was talking about um, – TMJ or, you know, treating TMJ disorders, and before then, so this is just a clinician, we have PhDs, we have we have people who are in academia there, nobody ever talked about it. So for somebody like me to hear about this event, um, I feel like it's a huge value uh, for, for people coming from this background like mine because we don't get enough exposure to this. Yeah, and you know, I kind of learned that the hard way um, when I tr- when I try and market this event. It gets it's a little easier now as more word is spreading about it. But the first year, the first two years, I tried to market the summit. It was really tough. So 
I think that we forget, especially if we're spending time online, um, on social media and in forums and groups where people are talking about this stuff and people are excited about it and they're arguing about it and they're getting mad about it. <laughs> but the reality is when when I tried to put this event out there, nobody knew who Mosley was. Nobody was very um, – nobody really understood – you know, what the event was, who were the people who were speaking. Um, yeah, so it was kind of a, it was a, it was actually a wake up. It was an eye opener because I thought the event would be, you know, I went around the clinics here in San Diego the first year uh, to introduce myself and tell them about the summit. And the over, everyone's response was like, oh, well, I've never heard of Lorimer Mosley. Or they, I think one clinic was like, Oh yeah, I think I've heard of him because we had a guest speaker on pain, and he I think he mentioned him. Um, so that that's been kind of an eye opener, and it's in the summit, and that's why probably the summit has stayed small was because it's just not a very well known concept. Although I think that's changing now that it's going to be coming up here in its fifth year. But I think it's easy for us to think, oh, well, everyone I know around me is talking about it, but it's still a bubble that we've created around ourselves. And when you look at the world, at the country as a whole, no, everyone's not talking about it. Very few people are talking about it. And in fact, I read an article by, um, it was written by this physician who's now the head of the Children's Hospital in Boston. I can't remember his name, but it was written in 2012, and it was a really good article. And basically he was telling clinicians to get their heads out of their asses and understand that pain is an output of the brain. <laughs> like it was a really good article, and I found it just searching around online. And so I reached out to him, and I said, hey, you know, just introduce myself, and this is what I'm doing, and um, I'm just reaching out because I'm looking for connections because this is a very difficult thing to um, to get out there and to market it. And he wrote back within three hours, which I thought was pretty cool. Pretty cool. And he basically said, um, you know, that's really great what you're doing, but yeah, it's a long, hard road. <laughs> so, so if that tells you anything. Yeah, I mean, um, I, uh, it's interesting you say it because, like, so um, I know from my education there's been conflicting um, lectures regarding pain, even in my own curriculum. So um, we've had people who talked about it being like, you know, you 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 tear your skin open, that's that's the pain, that's the reason why you have pain. You you have tissue damage, and that that tells the brain that you have pain. And then I've had other people who tell me, oh, pain is from, um, you know, the, it, when damage occurs, that information gets sent to the brain and then it interprets the damage and decides, well, there's damage, so there must be pain. And so so there's it's gotten better, ironically, um, but it's not fully been translated and there is a there is a bit of a disconnect. Um, I know uh, my I have friends who are MDs and they're aware of the fact that pain comes from the brain, but um, it's not always necessarily relevant to, in their minds when they're talking to their patients, which is somewhat disappointing. Um, but it really needs to be out there because everybody is, you know, we I've dealt with patients who are who have pain and they automatically think something is wrong with them. Something's wrong in their organs. You know, something like they're, they have a problem with their lungs, even though there's nothing wrong with their lungs. Or there's a problem with their heart, even though there's nothing wrong with their heart. They automatically assume the worst. And it's a whole spiral uh, of despair for them. And it really it just needs to be explained that how the pain works for them. And the thing is, you know, even we don't fully understand that, but I think that, um, yeah, I think patient communication is key, but I think they're probably stuck the same way a lot of physical therapists are, like, what do I do with this information? You know, how do I use it? 
I, you know, I was watching um, President Bill Clinton recently had a, well, this last year, had a uh, a little, I don't know if it was a symposium or what, to a, to start talking about the opioid problem. And um, he had a medical student, well, she was, she was a physician, um, on stage, and she said, yeah, in, in medical school, we're taught to deal with pain by giving drugs. That's how we're taught. So those things have to change, um, too. But, yeah, it's it's tough, I think. Yeah, it is, and it's, it's, it's hard, uh, I mean, for everyone because – um, it doesn't matter if you're a personal trainer or you're a physician. When you're dealing with a human being, um, there is that automatic empathy, and you want to just solve their problem right away. And, and it's you know, educating someone isn't necessarily going to solve the issue right away, but it might be part of the solution in the long run. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, when you were talking about the conflicting information, um, that's one of the reasons why I'm careful with who I allow to advertise or sponsor the summit because I don't want people to learn one thing and then come out and see um, tools or equipment that completely conflates with that, with what they've been learning. And so I think as long as there's, Everything out there that's that we're paying attention to that doesn't that conflicts with it, you know, that makes it confusing as well. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't. It's. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case with, with um, other events, but I think that's that's a really good idea because if I see, I'm not going to list the name of these things, but there's these tools that um, automatically. <laughs> You know, the implication is if I scratch a person to the point where they're, like, almost bruised, oh, I'm going to solve the the problem. And uh, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. So it is good that you're willing to, like, recognize that and say, you know what, I don't want to send any confusing messages. And, in fact, probably for some people – I think in in the pain realm, um, at least amongst PTs, they might actually resent that if you did that because they might say, hey, oh, you know, they're talking about this, but they're letting these people in. Yeah, and I, that's why some people do love the the summit. And, you know, every year there are people who don't really understand. Um, you know, you can't please everybody. So every year I do – uh, get the complaints, you know, I didn't learn any techniques or I didn't learn, you know, I didn't learn anything to help pain because um, I think people are still coming hope, hopefully to learn some techniques. You know, the first couple years that was a big problem, but now I think as the summit has been around longer, people are starting to know what they're signing up for, that you're not going to learn techniques. Um, I mean, you will learn about um, methodologies and frameworks, but this isn't, um, there's other conferences that you can learn techniques, you know, that are going on. That's perfect. I think it's perfectly fair for you not to to have techniques. I'm assuming this is hands-on techniques, but um, because, first of all, you're making this event for multiple professions, so it's kind of hard to give one group the training that you wouldn't necessarily provide to the other groups. But on the other hand, um, you know, they have their their own training groups, but they don't necessarily have the uh, assessment and the communication training involved in dealing with patients with persistent pain. Mm-hmm. So for you, you're offering those workshops, which I do think are a huge value uh, for for pretty much anyone, I think even experienced clinicians have something to learn from their peers about how to handle uh, these cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got. I, I hope anybody, if, if what's called anybody hears this conversation, don't realize, hey, you know, I can go and 
you know, I really should go to San Diego Pain Center because what do I know about, like, dealing with this case? Because I can tell you sometimes um, when I was doing my my uh, um, my one clinical internship, I was looking at some of these patients and I was thinking, I have no idea where to start. I'm looking at this person and they're, you know, and I had a I had a one of my clinical internships that the first my uh, clinical instructor had no idea how to deal with the person, and so they that individual started to resent the patient. Mm. They literally thought that the patient was just this weirdo. So mm. they, you know, and and the patient is, you know, they're they're in pain, they're confused, they think that they shouldn't move. They're they sit on a physio ball fitness ball and they fall like because it's it's on that uh placeholder so they sit on the physio ball and knock something over and the and that pt is automatically thinking hey um this person um is, is a weirdo i don't want to see them mm-hmm. um because i don't know how to deal with that yeah and you know when you go out and you go and you see uh you know a, a diane jacobs or a jason silvernail or a Peter O'Sullivan or Sandy Hilton or uh, Allison Tim, you're you're going to learn a lot, and it's invaluable. I, I really think so. So I hope anybody who listens to this will will sign up whenever registration is open. Oh, um, it's open for the event. It's already <laughs> open. It's already open. Okay, so if you hear this, um, can you tell me the website so anybody can who's hearing can uh, sign up? Yeah, it's um, sandiegopainsummit.com backslash register. Or just go to sandiegopainsummit.com and the registration button is right there. I usually open registration in March because, so for example, every year in March I have a special registration refund policy. If you register in the month of March, then you can get a full refund if your plans change by November 1st. The regular refund policy is that after September 1st, you don't get a refund. You just get credit to apply later. Um, But I do that because the early registrations help me put down the deposits for the venue, for the services. Um, You know, it helps me put down the deposits so that I can hold that time and that space for the event. Wow. Well, yeah, it's open. We have... I was just going to say um, some of the other workshops, we already have all the workshops lined up. We have that interactive improv one that, um, you know, the four instructors are working on. There's Ben Cormack's coming back, and Adam Meekins and Eric Mira are going to teach a – they're co-teaching together. And I do know I do not have Ben Cormack and Adam Meekins and Mira on the same day (laughs) because people would be pretty upset about that. I have one, you know, one earlier, one two days, and then the next one is two days after that. And then I have a workshop with, um, oh, my mind just went blank, Ben Cormack. I'm going to go to my website real quick. <laughs> oh, go right ahead. Let us know all about it. My, I can't believe my, um, I don't know who's teaching uh, so, yeah, there's the four work. Oh, it's um, uh, Tim Beams, who co-wrote Graded Motor Imagery. He's going to be teaching a two-day The Pain Picture, Exploring Complex Pain States, because he's also presenting. So for 2019, the keynote is going to be Dr. Antonio Damasio. So that's really um, – he is one of the top ten neuroscientists in the world. And um, I, I was introduced to him about ten years ago, when I read his book, The Feeling of What Happens, and his research is around how our emotions create, contribute to our perception of reality. And so I'll say a lot of it's over my head, but it's some really interesting stuff that I think when we're working with people in pain is important to consider. And so I have um, then a couple researchers, Dr. Bart Bishop and Dr. Maxi. Messiah, I think is how you pronounce her name, her last name. I'm not sure. Um, but the presenters are listed on there who I have. And um, in the next couple months, I'll have the synopses and their bios up and everything. Um, but we're going to have somebody talk about 
uh, rethinking the pain scale, rethinking the 1 to 10 pain scale, and then somebody else is going to talk about the language we use, how a lot of our language um, is nocebic with our patients. You know, for example, the fellow you were just talking about who is working with somebody who they don't understand how to work with, and the, their patient is probably picking up on their attitude, you know, so that's causing a problem. Um, that the the practitioner who's putting off that, because people can tell when you don't like them, right? Or they can tell if you and I were to meet and I was like, oh my God, his hair, oh, who is this person? You might not know I was thinking that, but you would feel it. Like you would feel like, okay, there's this, this this taste I feel or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's some of the things uh, that are going to be discussed next year. And I'm also going to do another pain um, panel, the patient's perspective. We have Bronnie Thompson is going to sit on it, um, Kira Stoops, and then a, a, a young woman who has been living with chronic pain who has a she she blogs about it. Um, so. You know, we're gonna have we're gonna have a similar we're gonna have a panel again because that was the most popular thing of the summit and people wanted more. So we're gonna do that again too. So this is all in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's so just to clarify, that this event is uh there's the pre conference workshops which start on February nineteenth. Um, and um, the last one ends on February 22nd. And then there's the actual um, two-day summit from February 23rd and to uh, February 24th. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> oh, swallowed my spit wrong. <laughs> um, yes, those are the dates, and uh, I really prefer to have it at the end of February because it's easier for people to fly here from the West Coast. The beginning of February is a little tough sometimes because of the weather, uh, but last year I didn't want to, um, or this last 2018, I didn't want it to have it at the same time as CSM because <clears throat> some people go to both. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, for the, um, for the like, the um, non, so there's, like, a video registration, uh, how, how does that work? for people who are interested who might want to see the videos but they can't attend the event. So there's a live stream registration and I usually don't open that up until like June or July just because people don't tend to it's not something people purchase that far in advance. And so mm -hmm. um in the next couple months I'll open up registration so they can just visit the website you know around June or July go go website and check and see um, but that one has a, you know, that one is more like you can you can cancel that um, if something comes up and you can't attend, you can cancel that till the day before you receive the passcode. So, um, but that option will come up here in a couple months. Okay, great. Um, uh, so, well, thank you for uh, sharing that information, and I really hope people sign up. I know um, I'm going to sign up. Um, because this is a – I haven't heard a single negative comment from anybody uh, I know who's attended the event. So, oh, really? Um, not a single one. I've heard um, – I just heard uh, – I read Mark Powers, who's a physical therapist in Georgia, came out mm -hmm. for the first time, and he said he wants to go every year now. And, oh, nice. Um, yeah, and my like I said, my clinical instructor. Um, I told you before we started this recording that my cl my clinical instructor Jonathan, he was there in 2017. He was a speaker, and he said it was a life changing conference. And he's been to other conferences. Um, he's not a you know it wasn't his first conference, but it was a game changer in his opinion. So um, I think it's a it's a definite like a highly recommended event. It's in my opinion, especially for recent graduates and, and current physical therapy students, because it'll give them great exposure. So I just want to say I really appreciate the fact that you ha what's called host this event every year. 
Yeah, I guess it's turned into a, a business now. <laughs> the, first, the first year it was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. But, yeah, I mean, I had a, um, a research scientist speak in two, uh, 2017, and she told me that um, she goes to a lot of pain conferences, and she said this is the first one that she feels like she's learned what clinicians are doing because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure – you know, which event she goes to, but she said this was, she's learned more about, you know, um, she just learned a lot more at this event. So, <clears throat> but yeah, it'll be great to see you next year. It's, it's going to be, you know, Antonio Damasio. I'm really, I was so excited that he agreed that I didn't even fully believe it until we spoke on the phone. Because I kept thinking, is that real? Let me reread this email again. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, what's it called? It's going to be great. I know um, I'm actually signed up. Um, two of your workshops, I'm actually signed up to take those courses um, in Chicago when they come. So it's funny uh, that they, they're there uh, teaching the same material at the Pain Summit. But um, I think I'm definitely going to have to go because, I mean, everybody is telling me this is a this is the big event. So. Um, Thank you very much. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and one more thing, too, if um, all all the video presentations, you know, the ones that aren't free, you can they can be purchased singly for $19.99, or you can purchase year sets. Um, so that's all there on the website, too. So if you wanted to, and pretty much all of the presenters, Basically, they agree to be videotaped or not, and almost all of them have agreed to have their presentations recorded. So um, you can just go again to that clinical education video page and scroll down, and they're, um, the singles are separated by, you know, topic. So you can just kind of, if anyone is interested in, like, what what's going on in the summit and they want to scroll through there, um, that's another place to to look for more information. And they can find it all again at the San Diego, so it's sandiegopainsummit.com. Uh-huh. Okay, great. Well, that's it for the this conversation, the recorded portion of this conversation. Um, please enjoy the, the next episode. Thank you. So there you have it. That was the end of the first episode of the Musculoskeletal Conference podcast. And I hope you do check out San Diego Pain Summit.com. Google it. Find out more. Ask around um, on Twitter or Facebook. You can reach out to me and ask, and I'll connect you with people who have attended. Or you can just check out the website and connect to them independently. But uh, I hope you enjoyed and you take a look.